back, I, I share with you, you know, a while back, back this summer, the Lord really spoke to me out of John chapter 3. I was on vacation. I think you probably remember me sharing that story, how the Lord I was reading the story about Nicodemus and Jesus' encounter. And how the Lord really just brought a real conviction into my life that, you know, the Lord was really trying to help Nicodemus see the kingdom of heaven. And I just, you know, in reading that, I realized the Lord was speaking to me personally that I really didn't see the kingdom of heaven and that He really wanted to reveal the kingdom of heaven to me in a fresh way, in a new way, in a greater way. And, uh, and that's really been a tremendous experience. It was, a tremendous, it was a very tremendous experience for me, the Lord just coming to me like that and, you know, doing that for me. And, um, you know, and I know Nicodemus, just thinking about Nicodemus, he did see the kingdom of heaven. He, you know, as we all know, he, when the Lord was dead, he helped take the body of Christ and tend to his dead body, him and Joseph of Arimathea. So he really was able to uh, ultimately see what Jesus wanted him to see and embrace what Jesus wanted him to embrace, which is the kingdom of God. So that was just wonderful. So I'm trusting the same thing's going to happen to me and to you. And one of the things the Lord really showed me was what I did was just ask the Lord, you know, through the Gospel of John to use this book to speak to me and really teach me about the kingdom of heaven. And what I saw in there, which a lot of people have seen for different reasons, is there's uh, eight miracles or eight signs in the Gospel of John that Jesus did. There's only eight, believe it or not, that is actually recorded. Some people claim there's only seven, but the Bible says there's eight in there because there are eight in there because if you read it, there's eight that happens. I don't know why people say seven, you know, but that's, that's their problem, okay? There's eight, trust me. It's in there. John 21, there's the eighth one. Read it. <laughs> but uh, each one of those signs was, the purpose of those signs was to point us to heaven, to get us to see something about heaven. That's really what... He was trying to do was teach us that, and so you know, a sign is meant to give us information to point us in a direction, and that's what those eight signs are about specifically. And so we went through every one of those signs. I think I did like I think this. I think this is my like thirteenth message. It took me a long time to do thirteen messages, starting in in July. So. This is the last one, the eighth sign. And I, I want to tell you, this, there is something unique about this particular sign, is this is the only miracle Jesus did in the Gospel of John that happened after he was resurrected from the dead. All the other ones happened before, before the cross. This one happened after the cross, after he was resurrected. So there, it is a little unique from that perspective. But I would like to just read some of that. And this is a great story in the Bible, John 21, uh, verse 1. It says, everybody good? Everybody with me? Somebody with me. I mean, everybody don't have to be. But <laughs> After these things, y'all going to have to excuse me. Uh, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, by the way. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. 
But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered, No. And he said to them, Cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, that's how he referred to himself, but all disciples could refer to themselves like that, right? You know, he had a revelation of God's love for him personally. We all need to get that. John, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. So Peter jumped in and swam approximately 100 yards. Anybody here can you swim? I'm just fascinated about thinking that he swam that far. I can't swim that far. Uh, and let's read verse 14, uh, Drew. 100 yards is a long way swimming. It really is for somebody who can't swim good. I'm not a very good swimmer. It's my problem. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciple, disciples after he was raised from the dead. So um, there were two other times that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. And, and you can read in John chapter 20 the account of those two times. One time was right on the day of res- on, res- on Easter day, so to speak, on Resurrection Day. They were in a room locked up, afraid, and Jesus just appeared in this room to the, the disciples and said, It's all right, don't be scared. Sort of says it admonished them for unbelief. And then it says eight days later, he appeared to them in an, another time in this room. And he appeared to them because Thomas wasn't there. The old doubting Thomas wasn't there and said, You know, if I don't put my hands in this side, and I'm not going to believe. And so he came Eight days later, so Thomas could stick his hand in his side. <laughs> you know, that's how the Lord is. You know, He helps us in our, our miserable state. Uh, so he appeared to them those two times, and then this is the third time. Now, what I want you to see here, um, what I want to try to talk, there's a lot in this story, okay? That, and y'all probably heard messages on this before, and I'm sure they were really good messages, but not as good as this one. <laughs> I'm just kidding with y'all. Y'all look too serious. It was probably better than this one. But that doesn't, I don't care really how good they were. Um, I want to talk to you about there's like this kingdom timing and shifts that happen in the kingdom, okay? Because we're trying to, this is what it is, it's trying to teach to see the kingdom and how to see it. Um, Let's just understand this. Before Jesus died, okay? Matthew 26, verse 32, at the Last Supper, this is what he said to the disciples. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, what he was saying to the disciples, listen, you know, I'm going to die, blah, 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 and after I'm raised, meet me in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. Now that was a word from God to his disciples. And that's where they were at, the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. So they were... They weren't there, the other two miracles, but they were headed there because they had a rendezvous with Jesus. He told them to meet them there. All right, and actually, this thing was also confirmed on the, on the resurrection morning. Remember, it talks about how the women went to the tomb, and there was an angel that was there at the tomb sitting there. And this is what the angel said to the women. 
She said, go quickly, or the angel said, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. Okay? There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So the Lord told the disciples before he died, an angel speaks to these women who are associated with the disciples and says, the Lord wants to meet you in, in Galilee. Now, if I was uh, getting a word from the Lord, all of a sudden I got these two words, an angel. The Lord, I feel like the Lord speaks a word to me. And then the Lord sends an angel to speak a word to me. I'm sort of getting excited at that point in time, right? Would you be excited? Yeah, come on. God's going to do something in Galilee. I mean, I'm, going, I'm headed to Galilee. As a matter of fact, that wasn't the only time the Lord spoke to them. These women, as they were you know, going, taken off from the tomb, they ran into the gardener. You remember that and that little story. But in verse 10 of 20, Matthew 28, Then Jesus said to them after he had done the gardener thing with them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, if you think about that, it's three times the Lord said to these men, Go to Galilee, and I'm going to meet you there. Now, as a believer, we would be enamored or excited, blessed to know that God was going to come. And not only that, in between all of this, the Lord appeared to them two times before they even got to Galilee. So they knew He was alive. They saw Him. They touched Him. They stuck their hands in, in His side. They had the word from God before he died. They had a word to these women by an angel, and then the Lord himself spoke to these women. That's pretty like, you know, if you want confirmation on something, they had as much confirmation as you could get, right? They knew God was going to be there. So they were obeying the Lord, and they were going to be where God had told them to be. Headed up there. And so there they were. They were there waiting on the Lord to show up. And it doesn't tell us how long it was. But obviously it was more than an hour. You know, I like one teenager one time. This is my first experience as a pastor dealing with teenagers. These two girls, I'm not going to tell you who they are. They're women now. <laughs> they got their own family. They're getting paid back. They came over and wanted to talk to me and Becky and... We've been seeking the Lord a long time about this, and we just don't understand this. How long have you been praying about it? Two weeks. Two weeks. What's wrong with you? Two weeks is nothing. How about two years? They didn't really understand that revelation. They understand it now. So, everybody's laughing knows. You know, the Lord, you know, somehow or another, the Lord doesn't always show up the way we think He's going to show up. And what we're looking at here is how human nature responds. And this is, um, this is look, we need to really learn from this, how we respond even when God has really spoken to us and clearly given us instructions about things. And we go and do what He asks us to do. And guess what? He doesn't show up when we think He should show up or He doesn't do what we think He should do. And there's this discouragement that gets on us. And that's really what happened to him. Uh, Peter decided that he was going to go fishing because the Lord didn't show the way he thought. In fact, he, can you imagine thinking, you know, Lord, you know, I don't, he told us to come. I don't know when he's going to come. You know, he popped in the room one day out of the blue, and then he was gone for it. We didn't see him for eight days. He pops back in another time, and he's gone again. Who knows when he's going to come? You know, and that's really the way the Lord is with us. He sort of pops in and out of our lives at times and reveals himself, and then it's, there's this period when we don't really hear from God or sense God. 
And that's what we're really talking about. So I think one of the things, what I wanted to, to tell you is this, is, you know, I wrote down like four things uh, that we have to do if we're going to really be kingdom people, okay? And the first one is, you can give, I've added, put my little titles on this. It's called Kingdom Waiting. Everybody say Kingdom Waiting. It's time to wait on the Lord. See, waiting and God seem to go together. Have you ever thought about that? Waiting and God seem to be... It's like going to the doctor. You never notice how you go to the doctor and just have to sit around and wait. Well, that seems to be the way it is with God. God does not seem to care about time like we care about time. In fact, I heard one person say one time, is God doesn't wear a watch. And it really is the truth. So what we have to see, if we're going to really walk in the kingdom of God, if we're going to really walk in the inheritance that God has us and be real kingdom people, we're going to have to learn how to wait on God. And we're going to have to learn how to not get in trouble. One of the greatest things that the Lord ever did is poured out the Holy Spirit. Would you all agree with that? That was one of the greatest things He ever did is poured the Holy Spirit. Guess what He said to the disciples in Acts 1-4? Wait for the promise of the Father. Don't leave, wait. See, he, he made them wait there. He made them wait again. And he's still making us wait. And I think what happens to us is many Christians have difficulties when we have to wait on God. If you'll notice in that, in that it was dark, uh, it became, there was a nighttime that they went through. It said they fished all night after they went fishing. And uh, Drew, put up, put up uh, Hebrews 6.12. What has happened to many people, and I think many people in this room are suffering from this, what Hebrews 6.12 says right here, uh, that you do not become sluggish. See, some of you are sluggish spiritually this morning. And the writer of Hebrews is exhorting us, don't become sluggish, but imitate those who, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience. And I shared earlier about the... One the line that Rick Joyner gave, which I think is a great line, is, you know, there's a great faith movement in the church, but where's the, the patience movement? There's no patience movement. In fact, that's the last thing we want to do. We don't, you know, patience is not something that we, that we want to avoid at all costs. Yet, it is through faith and patience that we inherit what God has for us. So if we're going to inherit the kingdom, if we're going to really walk in kingdom power, we are going to have to learn how to wait on the Lord and not get you know, get thrown off like, like uh, Peter and the other disciples did. You know, uh, Matthew 7 says, uh, Matthew 7 verse 7 says, Seek, ask, seek, and knock. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You know, it's persistence that we're going to have to have if we're really going to come into the fullness of the kingdom of God. You know, the Lord told Joshua when they went to inherit the promised land, he said, I'm not going to give it all to you at one time. Because if I gave it all to you at one time, it would devour you. And the Lord doesn't want us to be devoured. He, we take the kingdom, we walk in the kingdom in the power and the promises of God step by step. And uh, I could tell you this, I'll go ahead and tell you this, is one of the concerns that we really have about young people today is um, a lot of young people won't, I'm talking about in the material realm, is they want everything too soon. They won't, you know, they want it like to live at a standard living like maybe their parents did. And they want it as a young person instead of becoming an older person and living life and letting those things come the way they're supposed to come. And the Bible says an inheritance gained too soon in the end doesn't prosper. 
And I think, you know, we can apply that in many ways. And we really have a real concern about the young generation wanting everything now and not willing to wait and allow those things to come in a, in a way they were designed to come to us. God wants to bless people. Um, but that's just a, a practical example of waiting. And God really requires us to wait. And spiritually, God doesn't want to give us things ahead of time. And that's hard for us to accept that many times, but He will give them to us. Now, the wonderful thing is, Drew, put uh, verse 4, John, uh, the John, uh, script, John 21, verse 4, and let's just read that. It says, When morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. See, there is a morning that will come. You, you hear what I'm saying to you? The night will be over in your life. Morning will come, but we cannot... We cannot make morning come. We, in the natural, nobody in this room can tell the sun to rise at any specific time. The sun rises when it's supposed to rise. And spiritually in your life, the morning will come, the day will come, when you'll come out of the dark place you may be in. And the darkness for us is the waiting time. That's what it really is. It's not like a spiritual darkness necessarily. Darkness for Christians who are really going after God is the time when we're waiting on God to bring the things that we want. Everybody got that? That's the darkness in our life. God's not doing anything. We're waiting on God. We're waiting on God to do what only God can do. And so there seems to be a darkness in our life. And, and, but the morning will come. It says morning came and morning's going to come. It's like I told a guy one time. I was in big trouble was back in my engineer days and had this big project we were doing and it was you know in big trouble. It wasn't working. And, and it really had a whole a big line in this plant shut down. They were losing like $30,000 a day without it working. So, you know, had all these, you know, powwow, plant managers, all the big wheels in this room. And, you know, unfortunately, I was the person who had to come up with a solution for this thing. And I came up with a solution. And I told them, well, this, you know, blah, 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 this is what we're going to do to fix it. And the guy asked me, he said, how do you know this is going to work? And I said, I don't know why I said it this day, how do you know the sun's going to rise in the morning? That's what I said to him. Like, why did I say that? <laughs> Hey, you know, I couldn't believe I said it, you know, because that guy could have said, call the his, you know, call his, his, you know, his company and get him out of here. He said, he looked at me straight in my eye and said, okay. He was he was confident for some reason. He believed that I knew what I was doing. I went out thinking, Lord, if you don't do this, I'm dead. I mean, they're going to kill me. I'll never get home. I don't know why, but God made it work. I can honestly say that by the next night that thing was working and I was breathing some relief. It was the Lord. Because I really wasn't sure. I just did what I said. Well, this is what I believe the solution is. But the Lord wants to encourage some of you this morning. If you're in a period of darkness in your life, He's saying to you, the morning's going to come. Let the morning come. Wait on God. Learn to wait on God. And let Him do what he can, only He can do. And if you'll do that, it's going to come. It's a, it's a promise. Amen? And I want to remind... You, I had, this is one of the things that, that helps me is when I'm in these situations is God does some of His greatest works in darkness. If you think about it, Jesus died in darkness. It was in the middle of the day, but he, he caused darkness to come. Jesus was resurrected from the dead in the dark. You know, the women went to the tomb before sunrise, and He wasn't, he wasn't in the tomb. Jesus walked on the water in darkness. See, many times the Lord does some of His greatest things when nobody can see. And see, really what's happening in our lives, something is happening. We just can't see it when we're in that waiting period. Let the Lord do that. Don't. So that's an important thing. The other thing that is what I call kingdom relationships. In verse 7 it says, Peter, 
When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed him and plunged into the sea. Okay, and, and then the other ones followed him in a boat. Now, what I want you to see, uh, Peter, when Peter said, I'm going fishing, the, in the Greek, that phrase literally means this, I'm retiring. That's what it means in the Greek. In other words, what Peter was saying, that he was stopping being a fisher of men, and he was going to go back to fishing for you know, fish with scales. Okay? That's what he was saying. He wasn't saying, we're just going to go fishing and catch some fish and, you know, have a good time fishing, which, you know, that's a good thing to do. But, but what I want you to see is Peter had a lot of influence because the disciples, it says that seven of the disciples went with him. Okay, seven of the eleven disciples went with Peter. Okay? Three of those disciples who were going with him were not even fishermen. That's how much influence he, this guy had. He was a very powerful influencer. He could get non-fishermen to go join him in a fishing venture, you know, and not just to go fishing for fun. And really what we've got to begin to see is God really wants us to look at our lives and our relationship with, with other people. And first of all, what we have to look at is how are we influencing other people? You know, if we're going to walk in the kingdom of God, we've got to be an influence towards the kingdom on people, not dragging people down. And I think what happens, you know, is if we're not careful, we can be a negative instead of, you know, Jesus, when he, you know, like when he healed Jairus' daughter, he threw out everybody except for three people. And the reason he didn't want a bunch of negative, unbelief, unbelieving people around him when he was going to perform this miracle. You hear what I'm saying to you? And one, I, you know, we've got to ask ourselves, if we were there, would we, would we have been one of the people that Jesus threw out? And said, no, you're not coming here because you are just so negative and critical and you don't believe and you're messed up. Instead of being ones that are, you know, you know we're going in here and see the Lord move. We're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. And So that's, that's one thing that we need to do. The other thing that we need to do is about people we're associated with. And... Okay, first of all, people in the world. Okay, every one of us need to make relationships with people in the world, I believe. We're, as Christians, we're called to be salt and light in the world. And we need to make friends with people in the world, but our friendship should be to help see those people's lives changed and saved. Okay? And I think, so again, if you, the analogy you can get, you know, the old saying, if you're sitting on, on ice, and if it's melting, you know, you can stay there and melt the ice. But if it's freezing, you're behind it. Get up, you know. And that's why we need to look at relationships with people in the world. If they're freezing us, if they're causing us to go astray, we need to get rid of that relationship. We need to move away from that relationship. If we are having some influence and we're melting their hard heart, then that's, that's good. That's what God wants us to do. But if they're, if they're starting to freeze us and cause us to drift from God, we need to be you know, reevaluating that relationship. Everybody got that? And I think, you know, you, some of you in this room are in relationships you shouldn't be in. You're in relationships that's freezing you and taking you away from the Lord. If you're going to be a kingdom person, you, you're going to have to be careful about that and stop that. All right, the other thing is, as Matthew mentioned to me, I, well, earlier, is, is the relationship between you and other Christians. Okay, Matthew said that Dutch, he brought this up to me after the first time. Dutch sheets made the same. There's some people I can go to lunch with, and there's some people I can go to war with. Okay, in other words, 
some people you can be, you know, have a nominal relationship with them, go to lunch with them, but you don't want to be in a foxhole with that person. Okay? And I think that's one of the things that you need to begin to look at the relationships in your life, okay, and determine the relationships in your life that are hurting you. Because you will you can have relationships with other Christians and they're not good for you spiritually. And that and I'm I'm speaking from experience. And you may not be good for them spiritually. Okay? But you don't need to be in a relationship with a person who's dragging you down constantly. You don't need to be in a relationship with, with, with people who are manipulative and trying to control you. That you they, they like you and everything's cool between y'all until you do something they don't like and then they put the squeeze on you. You're always having to do what they want to do. That's, something's wrong with that. You know, the only person that needs to be controlling us is Jesus. He's the controller, not some person. And when we're letting other people control us, we are allowing the authority of Christ to be usurped in our life. So I think one of the things we have to do is make sure in our relationships that our relationships are healthy relationships with other believers. You hear what I'm saying to you? Is make sure, evaluate your relationships. Look at them. Look at what they're doing to you. And if they are if they're harming you spiritually, you need to learn how to put a hell. And this is what the Lord had to teach me. Okay, Lord, had to, I've had to learn about this. I've had some bad relationships. I haven't done things right. He had to teach me how to have a healthy distance between me and other people. In other words, if they're a believer, you don't just cut them off and walk out of their life and just forget about them, unless the Lord specifically tells you that. But He's likely is not going to. There needs to be a healthy distance between you and that person. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? If you don't, you will. Because if you're going to really pursue the kingdom, you're going to find that the Lord doesn't like relationships you know, that interfere with you and Him. And the, the other thing is relationships change. Okay? The relationship you can have with somebody today, the Lord may want that relationship to be different tomorrow. And it's really important that you allow it to be different. And the best example I can think of is a parent who has grown children. You cannot treat a 25-year-old man, even though he might be your child, like he's 15 years old. Your relationship with your children have to change as they grow older. And you have to allow them to change. And we have to allow our relationship as believers with each other to change. Because you see, Peter led them people completely off the mark because of his influence there. But within a month, God had raised Peter up to totally lead them people in, into what God was doing. You see what I'm saying? And what we can't do is we need to be, get on the other side of that thing. We need to get on the positive side of it. It's when the Holy Spirit comes on a person and really touches them and begins to use that influence that God's given you as a leader to really, you know, have positive kingdom effect. Did y'all, are y'all following me on that? I'm telling you, this is really important in the kingdom of heaven is relationships because you will be tested over and over about this. And we need, really need to learn, you know, the bad ones. We need to learn how to let relationships change and develop the way they're supposed to. Uh, the other one, uh, the other thing is, is number, the third thing is about spiritual gifts. Uh, if we're going to, you know, Peter had a leadership gift. That was his motivational gift, okay? And so he was not using that gift properly. It was being used negatively. 
So you can have, you have, every one of us have spiritual gifts given to us by God. If, Drew, if you put that Romans 12, 3 through 8 up there, I wanted to, these are what, is, these are called the motivational gifts. We all have a gift given to us, by gift or gifts given to us by God. And God is requiring us to use those gifts. If we don't use them, we're, they're going to be, they'll be used for the negative, like in Peter's life. He was a leader. He should have been leading people into the kingdom. What he was doing was leading people absolutely away from their calling. Okay? So this is what Paul was saying. For I say through the grace given to me, everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. So that's the first thing. Just, you know, get real about yourself. You know, don't think more highly or don't think more lowly than you should. Just think, be real about yourself. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Every person has been dealt a measure of faith. Every person. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members, members do not have the same function. Okay? So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts different according to the grace, grace it's the grace of God that releases the gifting into you, that is given to us, let us what? Use them. That's what Paul was saying. You've got to use your gift. You can't just sit on it. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. That's what he's saying. And really, I made this point earlier about the prophetic ministry. There is absolutely no excuse in this day and age if you have a gift of prophecy for not being able to use it. Because there is a world of revelation out there that has been released about prophetic ministry in the last 10 or 15 years. There's been some great teachings and greater understanding on, on prophecy than ever before. Uh, our ministry, you know, serving is what that really means. Let us use it in our ministry. And he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So these are all different types of motivational gifts that God has given, and they're supposed to operate in the kingdom of God. And if you don't use them for the good, they're going to be used for the negative in your life and in other people's life. And you really have to really ask the Lord if you don't know what your, your gifts are, those motivational gifts. Um, I was, uh, Heather Kelson gave me this website for a little test you can take. And it's, <laughs> this is a simple one. I've probably got 15 questions on it to ask you these questions about yourself, about things you like to do. And then you just hit the hit the old button on it, and it comes back and gives you these percentages off all those gifts right there. And uh, so I did it, and I did it numerous times, so I wasn't trying to manipulate the data. You know, there's certain gifts that I would really like to have, you know, that I don't think I have. You know, so I was hoping that somehow that thing would tell me I have those, those particular gifts. So I want to make sure, look, I can't, I, you know, I want to honestly answer these questions, so I'm going to do it over, and it kept, the answers kept coming back the same time, the same way every time, you know. I, in other words, I didn't get the gift. I thought, well, I don't really have that gift. I might as just forget it. I need to stick with what God's given me. Uh, but I really encourage you, you know, to pursue what your, your motivational gifts are, to really pursue it and begin to use it. Because it's going to be a negative in your life if you do not. And it can be a negative, especially if you have a leadership gift. If you, if you don't use your leadership gift, you'll be like Peter. See, he led people astray. And I'll tell you, most, a lot of Christians have leadership gifts on them. Lots of them. There's lots of people in this room that have true leadership callings on your life. But you're not using them. 
and you know it's just going to be it's going to be bad. So that's the third thing. Everybody with me so far? Or y'all just mad and tired? <laughs> All right. The last one is, you know, I was thinking this morning. Uh, I think sometimes we need to discern what we feel inside of us. And this is the, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. I was in the earlier service. There was a couple of people I was looking at. I, I inside of me wanted to go and hit them. Seriously. And I was asking, Lord, why do I really want to hit them? Okay? Am I just, you know, messing? And I felt like the Lord was saying, and see, there's a, a spiritual side. Okay? And the spiritual is this, is God is so angry with what's happening to that person. Okay? Well, my carnal side is, you know, carnal. Your carnal side is to want to just be violent. But the spiritual side is God is upset when he looks at people and sees how the enemy is, is trapping them, trashing their life, and the stuff they're believing is wrong. And I think sometimes when we have feelings that are not right, like wanting to hit somebody, you know, that's really not right. You had to realize that's just your carnal nature, but really ask the Lord to go beyond that. Now, you can tell if you're just slam mad at somebody, you know about something they have offended you about. That's a whole different thing. But I think we have to really start really discerning what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in our life. And really, instead of wanting to hit them, you need to pray for them. That's, that's more kingdom of God. Because <laughs> they, they need prayer, not hitting on. Besides, those guys were bigger than me. They could probably beat me up. But, uh, and I, I wanted to say one other thing about relationships, okay? And I, know I don't want to harp on you, but I, husband-wife relationships, okay? The Bible is very clear if a husband and a wife relationship is off, it's very clear it says a man's prayers will be hindered if he's in a wrong relationship with his, his spouse. And I think, you know, husbands, we really need to take the leadership in our homes and be in right relationships. Even if your wife is off, we need to trust God that he'll fix her. But we need to do it right ourselves. We really do. We need to be right ourselves. We need to be the leaders of the home, which means being the greatest servant in the home, not the overlord, you know. And we need to really and truly, honestly, do have a right relationship in our marriage. Because if we don't, our prayers are going to be hindered. And that is not good news. You know, we need God to help us. And I think that's one area of relationship that we always need to pay attention to because Satan is always trying to divide the marriage. Divide the home. And that's just, a, just one thing I want to mention to you. All right, the last thing. Am I giving you all too much stuff? The last thing is what I call working in the kingdom or kingdom working. Uh, Jesus said, have you called anything? They worked all night. Have you called anything? No. All right, try the other side of the boat. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. And they caught 153 fish. So we need to learn how to work in the kingdom, okay? And... A few years ago, or you know, there was a man. There's a man named Larry Randolph who's sort of like a prophetic teacher, comedian guy. Okay, he's really good. He has some great revelation. But he did this teaching. And I remember, and, and he did a teaching on seven things to tell you how you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat, and seven things to tell you how you're fishing on the right side of the boat. Well, I remember three things out of that message that really that stuck in my heart. That really has helped me. In in his three things that. About how and, and Larry was a fished a lot growing up. He did all kinds of fishing, so he sort of had a natural perspective on fishing that really 
helped him get some revelation on it. And his question he asked is, how do you know when you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat? Okay? And the first thing he said was, when you're fishing from despondency or disappointment, from despondency or disappointment, in other words, you have lost your passion about what you're doing as you're on the wrong side of the boat. And see, a lot of Christians... Well, let me just go ahead and say it right up front about the marriage. And I don't want to harp on people about marriage too much, but it's important in God's kingdom. Is If you've lost your passion in your marriage, you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. You hear what I'm saying to you? If you've lost your passion, I don't care if you've been married a month or, you know, I've been married for a long time, and I realized if I, when, when I lose my passion in my marriage, about my marriage, about my wife, I'm fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Something's wrong, and I need to really get back to what's right. And, and the way you get back is you ask the Lord. Lord, you know, how do I fish on the right side of the boat in my marriage? So I think, you know, anytime we have, no matter what you're involved in in life, if you have a ministry and you are, you've lost your passion in that ministry, then you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Because, see, that's why they went fishing. It's because they were discouraged, they were disappointed, they became a, dis- a despondent-type disciples Let's just go do this. You know, and they're just going out there, going through the mountain, and nothing was happening until Jesus told them, you know, okay, well, if you want to fish, do it over there, you know, and it's going to work for you. And if we begin to ask the Lord about that in our lives, ask the Lord, do you, do you have passion for worship, for worshiping God? No, I really don't. Well, you're fishing. It's not the worship team's fault. Do you have passion for the Word of God? No. Ask the Lord. I'm fishing on the wrong side of the boat. I'm doing, you know, something's, something's gone off in my life. I need, you know, you see what I'm saying? The lack of passion shows you that you're on the wrong side of the boat. And you begin to ask the Lord and He'll show you. And, you know, you can get on the right side of the boat with Him. All right, that was one. I'm fishing from despondency or disappointment or loss of passion. Uh, the other one was working all the time. Said they fished all night and didn't catch a thing. And... Uh, Dutch sheets, you know, that word that Matthew gave a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, one of the things he says that people need to do this year is pray more and work less. And um, if you look at your life, the way your life's going, many people are just wore out because they're so busy. You know, our, our culture has made us busy people. And we're involved in lots of things. But the most important things, a lot of times we don't have any energy left for them. You know, many of us don't have energy for God. Just too tired, too busy. And, 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 and you know what? When you talk to a lot of Christians, like I pray for, for a couple of people in the early service about this, everything they said they were doing were, were not bad things. They weren't, they weren't sitting around watching hours of television. They were talking about having a family, going to school, having a job, things you had to do. But they beat to death. They were wore out in their life. They, were, they felt like their lives were being consumed. And see, that was what was happening with the disciples. And somehow or another, we had to find God's order in our life. And the Bible tells us what His order is. His order is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. As we begin to seek His kingdom first and make that a top priority in our life, God brings everything else into order in our life. But if we don't, if we don't really have that heart and we don't make that choice to, to seek the kingdom first, then he, we don't give God the opportunity to put our lives in order. And then our lives become consuming to us. And it's easy for us to be consumed. It's easy to work all the time. 
But what winds up happening is, is the things that are really are important in our life get stolen from us and get robbed from us. And you look back and you realize things that you should have been involved with, you let slip by you. Parent, I tell you, young men and young women who have children, be careful. One day those kids will be grown and you'll have some regrets if you're not careful. God's concerned about your family, about your children, about your relationship with them, about spending time with them. There's lots of things that God has a great concern about sometimes we just ignore. And it's wrong. And if we're going to really be kingdom people, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to say, this is how I want you to spend your time. This is how you spend your day. This is the priorities of things in your life. And it's really just a matter of asking Him that, and He'll do that for you. Um, the other thing He was talking about, and I know all you guys are so buff and, you know, exercised up in here, is, is, but just for a couple of people who may not be so buff as I am, <laughs> Just kidding. It's personal, physical, and emotional health. Personal, physical, and emotional health. In other words, this guy, Larry Randall, when he was talking about it, he said, I, I had to go into the hospital because I was having a breakdown in my body and in my mind. I hadn't worked so, been so going all the time. I didn't take care of myself. I didn't eat right. I didn't exercise. I didn't take time off. I didn't go on vacations. And, it, you know, over a period of time, it got him. And, and he said the Lord spoke to him personally you you won't be able to you won't be able to stand under my glory when I really bring my glory because your body is just too wore out. So I really want to encourage all of us, you know, about how we eat and you know get rest and you know the things that we need to do. So when God wants to use us, we're not you know our mind is not fuzzy, you know, and we can't hardly even think for God to really be able to. You know, we can't even hear God because we're just so beat down and wore out. Ask the Lord about how you spend your time. Now, this is practical stuff, but this will make a difference in your life. And the last thing that he said, or not the last thing I remember he said that really spoke to me was, uh, you know you're on the wrong side of the boat when you don't recognize the Lord when he comes. Peter, Peter didn't know it was the Lord. Somebody had to tell him, hey, it's the Lord, Peter. Now, he responded when he knew it was the Lord which was, hey, amen, you know, and we need to have that. But we need to be able to recognize the Lord when the Lord comes. See, the Lord came to them. This was the first time he came to them like that since he had been resurrected. You know, he appeared in the room, which, duh, anybody knows, that's got to be Jesus. All of a sudden we're standing here and he's standing in front of us, okay? That's easy, okay? But he's standing on the shore. He didn't just pop in, you know, like supernaturally looking, so to speak. He was just there. And see, I think there's, that God wants to teach us when He's speaking to us, no matter how He comes. It could come in a very dynamic, you know, spiritually charged thing, or it could come in a very... I mean, I'm telling you, I have heard God clearly speak to me through commercials on television. And it's just being able to allow the Lord to speak to you and hear Him and recognize when God is speaking or when God's trying to reveal something to you. Are you all with me on that? So, I mean, I think these are just some practical things, a lot more, like I said, in this. Practical things. If we're going to really pursue the kingdom of heaven, if we're going to be kingdom people, these are some things in this story that tells us this is how it works. Amen? So, um, you know, we did altar call this morning. Somebody said, are you going to do another altar call? I really believe in doing altar call. I believe that we should pray for people this morning. Okay, I want to pray for people, number one, okay, who feel wore out in their life. 
Okay, you just feel like you're too busy. And what we want to pray is, this is what we want to pray, is that you would make a decision in your heart today to, make, to seek first the kingdom of heaven and ask God to give you a passion for that. Okay, and as you begin to do that, God will fix, fix things for you. I want to pray for people who have relational problems, relational issues. It might be a marriage or it might just be with other Christians or uh, unbelievers. We need, we need the Lord to help us get those things right. And, you know, if you're just a toiler and you've been working all night and nothing's working for you, that we begin to see, Lord, we're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. We want to get on the right side with you, Lord. We want to be with you, Lord. And, or if you're just going through a time of darkness in your life, waiting on God, and you seem like you're in that time where God's not moving and you feel like going fishing, you know, I'm retired, I'm done, you ain't showing up, I'm, I'm going to move on with my life, Lord. If you're in that state, we want to pray for you. So if we get the ministry team to come up here, and that's how we're going to end the service. Um, so if you, if you would like prayer this morning, I'd like for you to come up. and You can come up right now.